It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And welcome to the Short Time Wrestling Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Bryant. And on Short Time, we talk all things wrestling. International coverage, check. College wrestling news, check. Interviews from the top names in the sport, you got it. So settle in, because you know you've got time for Short Time. The Short Time Wrestling Podcast is a production of TheOpenMat.com and Snapdown Media. Short Time is presented by Flips Wrestling. Train alone or train out loud at FlipsWrestling.com. Here's some news from Monday, April 28th, 2014. Campbell University is expected to name Kerry Colat its new head coach in the coming days. Colat, a two-time NCAA champion at Lockhaven and a four-time All-American, has spent the last four seasons as an assistant coach at the University of North Carolina with the last two as associate head coach. Colat will take over for Joe Boardwine, who resigned after four years. Colat was a two-time world medalist, taking a silver medal in 1997 and a bronze in 1998, and was a member of the 2000 Olympic freestyle team. Still no word on the Open Division I positions at Air Force, Purdue, and West Virginia, and of course nothing yet on both coaching positions available at USA Wrestling for national team coaches in men's freestyle and Greco-Roman. The Asian Championships concluded over the weekend in Astana, Kazakhstan, and Iran rolled to the team title in men's freestyle, picking up six golds. In women's freestyle, the Japanese again showed their dominance, winning the team title and earning three gold medals. Host Kazakhstan was strong, picking up two golds, including a gold by two-time Olympic medalist Guzel Manurova at 75 kilos. In Greco-Roman, it would be the hosts, Kazakhstan, taking the team championship. Golds were won by Nursultan Tursanov at 85 kilograms and Yerulan Iskakov at 98. South Korea's Kim Hyun-woo captured gold at 75 kilos. He is the defending world champion. For the latest in wrestling news from around the world, subscribe to The Open Mat by going to theopenmat.com slash subscribe. Use the promo code SHORTTIME and save $5 on an annual subscription. Our guest today is the president of the United States Wrestling Officials Association, Rick Tucci. Rick has officiated dozens of World Olympic Championships over his 40 years of service to the sport. And we'll get some comments on some recent rule changes and what fans can do to understand some of those changes. Rick, this time of year, there always seems to be some questions, some comments, or some basically some refreshers that that are needed with freestyle and Greco-Roman wrestling. And with the U.S. Open just behind us, what are, what are your thoughts on some of the rule changes and tweaks that have gone on in international wrestling? Well, I think the biggest question fans may have is the one-point ankle snatch instead of a two-point takedown. Um, 
And this has been a question since they reinforced it at the European Championships. Basically, what what the rule says, or it doesn't say, I haven't seen it in writing, but what it says, if, if red attacks blue and secures an ankle or a leg and blue goes and faces away from the attacking wrestler and tries to kick his leg out, and if three parts of his body hit the mat besides the leg, that would mean another leg and two hands, as he's trying to kick out, this would constitute a one-point control or one-point good effort, if you want to call it. Now, what we did at the Open, we gave that point. But then if Red finished the move by ending up in the takedown situation, obviously they can't score two points or two. They can't have two scoring maneuvers on one action. So the one was taken away, and the two was put in its place. So you either got one or two. Uh, if you look at it, if, if the call was hesitated or it was just held, and then time ran out, and all of a sudden the referee comes up with a point which either ties or wins the match, I mean, that would be a lot more confusing and make a lot more people upset than giving the point and then waiting to see what happens. And if the wrestler kicks out of it, he's earned his point. Uh, the other wrestler has earned, earned his point. But if he doesn't kick out of it, and the other wrestler takes him to the mat in a takedown situation, then the one goes away and the two is in its spot. Well, that's one thing I noticed where, where some officials, I remember official Sammy Julian was holding a one kind of off to the side or up where it was awarded and then kind of flipped his hand around to say, no, that's two. And the one thing I think that confuses me, not confuses me, but concerns me having been to several international championships, world championships and things of that nature is how that's being entered on the scoreboard because – not everybody's thinking the same way. It's like, oh, well, he put one, then he put two. I could, I could possibly see that leading to uh, real problems with scoring later on if people aren't on the same page, especially with what's displayed on the score clock, which, as we, as we both know, can sometimes be uh, hit and miss internationally. Right. Well, we had two officials that went to the European Championships, and the way it was explained to them that obviously they explained it to me was that it's, it's, it is a delayed call, and they would delay the call until either the situation broke loose or he ended up getting the takedown. So they would not give the one, but they would wait, and then if it did develop into a takedown, they'd give the two. But we tried to, I mean, we're not doing anything that is against the rules, but what we're doing is, we're at least letting the fans, the coaches, and the athletes know you've got one. Can you take it to two, or is this going to be what all you're going to get out of this hold? And that's why we, we've come up with the one point and then change it to two. Now, if it goes up on one on the scoreboard and then it's changed to two, obviously another point would be added, but it won't go away. I mean, the point is there. It's not going to go from one to zero, either you go from one to two, 
or just stay at the one. Right, well, before we get into a few more rules questions, I've got a couple that, that might help the, the listeners out there. First of all, let's get a little bit of background on you. Uh, some people know that you've been around for a while, but what was your initial start? What's your background in wrestling? I, I, I wrestled in high school in New Jersey. And then I wrestled uh, four years at West Virginia University. And then um, I, I've had three knee surgeries, so it kind of prevented me from continuing wrestling after college, which probably wouldn't have done much, but I still had the interest. It was in my blood. So my senior year in college, I, I started refereeing, and then when I started teaching down here in Miami, I continued to referee high school. And uh, from there... I ended up uh, getting an international license and uh, working my way up to from a three to a two to a one. And at that particular time, it went to an exceptional, which was the Olympic level. And then um, been all over the world refereeing. Uh, it's been 40 years, and I've, I, I don't really count how many world championships. The only ones I really count that I, that I can remember is uh, I was selected for eight Olympics and worked seven. I boycotted Moscow along with the U.S. team. And I was put on the FILA officiating department in 1990 and served that um, up until this past year uh, when they had an age requirement and I went off. But I am on the CPLA, which is our hemisphere, north and south, as an, as an instructor teaching the officials in our hemisphere Along with the official FILA instructors, the rules, positioning, evaluations, whatever. So I'm I'm still involved, but not as heavily as I was when I was on the officiating department. Well, that brings up a point as far as say, okay, there's a rule change and it comes down from the FILA offices in Switzerland. How do they get disseminated? I mean, is do they put out videos? Do they send paperwork? Do they say, okay, here's a tournament. We're going to try to call it this way. What is the procedure to go from rule change to actually in, being able to instruct it and call it the same way? What happens is on the, when I was on the field officiating department, commission, whatever you want to call it, they, they were proposing different situations at the time Martinetti, President Martinetti was in charge of it, and he would bring in ideas either from the coaching commissions or from the FILA Bureau, and he'd ask the department what we thought of it. And if we liked it, we told him. If we didn't, if we wanted to put a little various spins on it, we did. And usually the year after the Olympic Games, which in this case was last year, they would take certain tournaments and an experiment, so to speak. They would introduce it. I can remember the first competition after it may have been uh, Australia. We introduced the, uh, the push-out rule. It could have been Athens. And uh, the first competition we did it at was the Sunchis tournament in Arizona. And I can remember Joe Williams, who at that time was an Olympian, wrestling in that tournament. When he was finished with his match, he came, I went over to him because I was trying to get feedback from the athletes, and I asked him, what did you think of that rule? He said, I never worked so hard in all my life to stay in bounds and to keep wrestling. So it, it kind of made them made the wrestlers think a little bit. So well, to make a long story short, all the evaluations from the different competitions on any of the rule changes were brought to the president 
which went to the Bureau, which went to the officiating department, and then the consensus was voted on by the field of Bureau whether they wanted to go with the rule, forget, forget the rule, or propose something else. And uh, that's generally, you, you know, the way the way the rules are are brought down. Now, from the Europeans, they had a clinic there, and they were told these, because obviously wrestling's gone through a hard time this past year. So everybody wanted to make sure we had the rules down pretty pat. So when Stacey Davis and Zach Eric came back from Europe, we talked. We, we had notes. In fact, I talked to them when they were over there, and Zach gave me a, a daily diary of what rules they were looking at, which ones they were calling, which ones they weren't. And I tried to incorporate that in what I send out to my officials, the national officials, and all the officials in the United States. So now, yeah, there are some videos, but they're just now being produced because the Europeans are only a month away. So we, we do have a PowerPoint presentation in which we go through some of these rule changes. Zach Eric put it together. Dave Bennett usually puts my my videos together for me, and I'll probably have one for Fargo. But we try to keep the rules the same, whether they're in Minneapolis, Colorado Springs, or Miami, Florida. I have a clinic Friday night I'm giving to the qualifying for the fall Florida team in Miami. So I'm basically going to cover the same things I covered in Las Vegas last weekend. Throughout the course of your time, there's probably been some rule changes that you, you weren't really a fan of. Uh, I'm sure the, the wrestling fans probably have more rules that they weren't fans of than maybe the officials. But I remember in 2005, World Team Trials, the three-period thing rears its head. And and I guess most of that leadership, at least in FILA, at least on the, the presidential side, they're gone but what was your first impression when they changed it to this best two out of three system and instituted coin flips and best two out of three periods and basically had turned the sport of freestyle and Greco wrestling upside down? Well, the way it was explained to us, it was like playing tennis and you had to win two out of three sets to win a match. And I, I thought to myself, you know, we don't get – Really, you get two really competitive Greco wrestlers out there. You're not going to get much action because they're all very leery of each other. And in two minutes' time, it's it's going to be very boring. The freestyle, well, you know, you win the first period. Maybe you don't win the second period. And then the third period, you play for the, the passivity or you play for the cautions. I think two, three-minute periods are good. I know they... Way back, probably before you, Jason, they had three three-minute periods. And that was changed because the United States was in much better shape than any other country in the world. And the Russians couldn't keep the pace up for nine minutes. And that was one reason that that was changed. But I think now with the two three-minute periods, it doesn't drag a match out, doesn't extend the matches into the late evenings. And I, I think knowing that, okay, whatever I did in the first period is going to count in the second period. It's going to entice more action on the part of the wrestlers. I, I like it. I, there are some things I don't like. Ten points for freestyle and eight points for Greco. When Greco has a five-point move and freestyle has... A four-point move. I mean, you're talking about a five-point throw and two turns, and it's over. Or a five-point throw and a, uh, a takedown and a hand-to-hand, and it's over. I, I think, if anything, they both should be 10. Or I like the fact that freestyle man. 
So I, I would go with both 10 point for a technical superiority. Well, another way to look at it is at least on the positive side, a five doesn't just end a match anymore. Although some of the the argument for is there was there were so few fives, it was basically like a home run. They were basically equating a five to a fall, which they are different scoring sequences. But at least you get five, you still got some life. I mean, <laughs> so I guess that's one one good thing about the way they've shifted it. Speaking of that, last year in Fargo, the United States took the rules that were kind of thrown out there for the the uh, United for Wrestling, the L.A. event, after the the crazy rule change, the one that put in all these different scoring moves, made it two periods cumulative scoring. The United States kind of kept that scoring sequence through Fargo. Do you think the United States has been a, a good testing ground for for those rules at the developmental levels? Like one, one Twitter argument I, I actually got into last night was the merits of overtime. I want to talk, to, talk about that in a moment, but why wouldn't uh, USA Wrestling or the officials be open to overtime at least at the junior and uh, cadet levels to at least give Fila some data to work with on how it works out in a tournament format? Well, at the trials last year, I, I had numerous meetings. I flew out to Colorado Springs. I met with the freestyle coaches. Uh, I was on conference calls with the Greco and the women uh, coaches and uh, the women's committee. And I myself am in favor of overtime. I, why? Because as a fan, you're sitting there, and if a match ends tied, and all of a sudden they're raising Red's hand, you're going to go, well, why did, why did he win? Why did she win? Uh, what, what was the criteria? But if you go overtime, all right, set, a, set a three, an, an extra three-minute period. Go. And then if you don't get a winner, then you go with the criteria. I think the fans want to see a clear-cut winner, not somebody that wins because he got lucky in the first period and scored a, a four-point throw, and then all the rest of his ma- match, all the rest of his points were ones, and the other wrestler had scored like three or four takedowns. But because of that one four-point throw and no cautions, he wins the match. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I, I just, I guess I'm old school, but I like to see tiebreakers. I like to see, uh, you go into three-minute period. Whoever scores first wins. And if you don't win at the end of the tiebreaker, then we go to criteria. Yeah, my suggestion is kind of along those lines, only I'm saying two minutes just because just because it seems like a decent two minutes. That's, I mean, it's not the full three. It's not an extra period. It's not one minute. It's the happy medium. That's just my, my thought. That's, that, I, I don't have a problem with that. We had a few years ago, maybe more than I can remember, we had matches between uh, Dave Schultz and Nate Carr. And the matches at that time, if you were tied, you went into an overtime and you kept wrestling until somebody scored. So we had 14, 15 minute matches and they had to go at it because somebody had a score. And basically the officials were told, look, unless the guy really is very, very passive or, or fleeing the hole, you don't, we're not going to hit them. We want them to decide who wins the match. And it, it got sloppy, especially if it's in a hot venue. But, like, uh, only the strong survive. And and the people that watched it, I mean, we had overtimes in uh, at the Olympic trials two years ago. If I, or was it the world trials when I, I think Jordan Burroughs won in overtime. And, he, and if it didn't go overtime, he would have lost on criteria, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, that was last year. They went with the unlimited overtime. And I think one of the 
detractions to overtime is assuming it would be unlimited because of the rest time between matches. Well, the Dake Howe loser, in that case, that match went to overtime, and Howe came back and then got, got beat pretty bad his next match out. So, I mean, I think th- I think that's one of the concerns FILA has, at least from a organizational standpoint, is within the confines of a tournament. I don't think two minutes is, is too much to ask. Now, that's just the, the overtime situation. Now, there are some other, other changes that, that came back up. Uh, one thing that I, I like is there, well, the threes to fours is not a huge deal to me, but the changing the match structure to where uh, two four-point throws, and, and last year would be three-point throws, two fours don't end it. You keep going. That's that's one thing I like. It, last year it deprived of us of the, the Simmons-Kennedy match that was over after three minutes. They would have scored 50, things like that. I also like the fact the fives don't end the match in Greco, uh, you know, the 10-point technical superiority. But there are some extra nuances that seem to have been thrown back in. One is the, I guess, proper technique when rolling through in a gut wrench. I believe the rule reads that you have to arch, at least in some manner, to avoid giving up one point. Explain the uh, the technical idea behind that. This is really not a new idea, but this goes back to, and I'm not trying to single out one particular weight class, but usually it's the heavyweight. When they do gut wrenches, because of all the weight involved, you see very little bridging. When they take the move through, it's like roll through. It's like rolling a tire. Everybody rolls together, and that both wrestlers roll across their shoulders. Well, now what they're saying is if there's any signs of a bridge on in the technique, then you're not going to lose a point. But if there's absolutely no bridge at all, then that person would score. Even though you may go across your shoulders, the other wrestler gets one point, and you would score whatever you whatever you would get. If he went hand-to-hand, it would be one for your opponent and one for you. If he went across his shoulders, it would be one for your opponent and two for you. Why does the other wrestler score first? Because if it comes down to last point scored, the aggressive wrestler in this case was the person that took the risk on the gut wrench or the leg lace would be the one that would be the last one scoring. Now, at the Europeans, they did not they did not really call that that much. And I don't think this past weekend in Vegas it was called very much. I mean, it's it's there. It's a rule. If you really want to use it, you can use it. Perfectly legal, but it's something you don't you don't look look for. It's like it's like in high school wrestling. If your top is off and you don't have your straps up, you lose a point. I mean, do you really look for that? I, mean, uh, I know I, some I, officials that do, but that's that's a different topic entirely. But uh, I, do you think some of that is the fact that there's internationally there's so much uh, emphasis, or maybe even, at least in the field side, there's almost a smugness about elite technique that it's got to be perfect or else it can't be scored properly. Whereas maybe in the United States, we're like, all right, I hit a high high crotch and I didn't finish it perfectly, but I still scored on it. What's the difference? Okay, if you end up flat on your back without any counter from your opponent, whatever you scored on the move, you'll score, but your opponent will score one point. But you have to land flat. It can't be if it's shoulder to shoulder, you won't lose any points. Basically what the old, uh, I guess the term that's thrown around, not a whole lot of people use it, but the auto-touche. For example, I've got a kid on a leg lace. I'm rolling him through, but when I go through, he stop. You know, he stop. He stops. He doesn't put me there, but I'm trying to roll it through, and I, my legs drop. I hit the mat with both shoulders, and then I keep going. I still score the action, but my shoulders hit, 
boom, auto touche, right? Basically, so they're basically awarding one point for that. Well, no, not not necessarily. If but it's it's if, a, it's if, a, it's, a, it's a similar concept in some ways, yeah, right? Similar, but if in the opinion of the officials, the, the person that is getting rolled maybe posted an arm and prevented Red or the wrestler from finishing the move and he ended up on his back, then it would score two. But if there's no counter at all, and I just put myself on my back because my technique stinks, then it would be one. And is that position only for, like, the gut wrench? Or what about, like, a front headlock roll through a mixer or a gator roll or something like that? Is I mean, that's, that's a technique that, I mean, yeah, you kind of have to arch anyway, but... For you to roll your your head to head and then you roll them through, you know, would that be scored the same way as, as a sloppy gut wrench, for example? Yeah, but I, I don't. You're not going to see it too much because usually in a in a headlock roll through, it's a bang bang play. Now, unless it, if it's a headlock, you're going to get four points. Now, if it's a roll through because the wrestler rolled you through, it's going to be a four. Could be a four one for a reversal, or it could be a four two. I mean, again, you're 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 kind of in the gray area where no what i mean is like the the front headlock where you've got him on the mat and you roll him through from their knees kind of like uh, you know the gator roll so to speak where you know i've got it underneath i i roll you through you're back up on your knees is the offensive wrestler going to get hit with a point there yes probably yes unless there's some element of a bridge so basically the lesson is if if you don't need to bridge bridge anyway yeah just so it looks prettier is the best in the world and don't give the officials the option of scoring points against you when you're the one that's taking all the risk. All right, Rick, talking a couple other things in terms of rules, what are some things that you think that the fans might need to do or maybe take a little bit of initiative in understanding freestyling Greco rules more than watching it maybe once or twice a year? Can they can they look things up more, or is there some type of refresher course or, or anything that you can think of that might help more American college fans try to understand freestyle rules, freestyle on Greco-Roman rules a little better? The rules as they came out in 2014 are not real difficult to understand. I think the areas that you touched upon that I talked about are probably the ones that are the most difficult to understand. The only other one would be the, the passivity periods, so the passivity period of freestyle and the passivity call in Greco. But as far as refresher classes or refresher courses, all I can tell you is the, the rules are are in the are on the website the map.com web, website or but in order to really understand it pop up some matches from the some from the open look at the matches and if you think you understand the scoring score it along with the official now if it doesn't quite come out the same think to yourself well why did they score it two and i scored it one or why did they score it four and i only scored it two i mean right now i don't have i'm in the process of getting a a video we're going to put online where everybody can look at it and get a better understanding Uh, we do have a powerpoint that like i said earlier that i could get put online which goes through the rules and gives different examples of different points and I'll see if I get that done in the next week or so. All right, a couple la- a couple final questions here. This is basically kind of a rapid fire, so I just kind of want your first general idea. So 
in, in your history, your long, illustrious, inspirational Rick Tucci referee and officiating history, what has been your favorite rule change ever? I would have to say, I would have to say the step out rule. I think that making the wrestlers aware of the out of bounds and making them understand that people became paid money, took time off from work to watch wrestling and didn't want to watch somebody get pushed off the mat or somebody go off the mat. 13 times and not any points being, I think that helped create a lot of action. What is the toughest rule to enforce? I think I'd have to say the passivity rule because if you look at a couple of the Greco matches over the weekend, you got one, one coach screaming for his wrestler, the other one screaming for his wrestler, and the score is 0-0, and it is the job of the official to encourage scoring. Now, if the wrestlers aren't going to score, then the official's job is to put them in situations where there's a possibility somebody could score. I mean, I've always told my officials, try not to let the match be put in your hands. Let the wrestlers decide it. Sometimes the, the wrestlers don't give us a choice, and then somebody's going to get upset, and naturally all of the, the venom, so to speak, goes to the officials, which... You know, it has been like that for a long time. But you think about it. You wrestle, you don't have to worry about it. If you don't wrestle, I mean, Dan Gable never had that problem. John Smith never had that problem. Uh, some of our better athletes, Jordan Burroughs, never had that problem. So wrestle and you won't have to worry about getting called for passivity. Otherwise, you're leaving it in our hands and you may not like the decision. All right, what is the most commonly misconstrued or misapplied term that you continually hear from maybe coaches or fans that the rule, uh, basically the rule is this, but everybody else thinks it's this? Again, I'd have to refer to uh, the passivity and not so much in, well, in passivity in freestyle, it could be fleeing the hold. Why did my wrestler get hit for fleeing the hold? He was in the center of the mat. Okay, he was blocking. He was grabbing fingers. He was not taking any shots. He was basically not doing anything. Or he was on his bike running around but staying in bounds, not allowing the other wrestler to wrestle. That's freestyle. Greco, he's blocking. He's posting off the chest. His head is down. Sometimes you get both wrestlers doing it, and it's like, well, let's stop the match. Let's flip a coin, and that's the person that we're going to hit. I hate to say that, but sometimes that's the case. You know, you're going to have coaches that don't understand why their wrestlers get hit. Because nine times out of ten, it's their wrestler, and they only see it with blinders on. They don't see it from an overall perspective, which is what the officials have to do each and every match. And finally, we got we've got a pretty good group of international officials that that are Americans. I mean, Zach Errett, Sammy Julian, Stacy Davis, and Tom Clark. Yourself have all been part of delegations, and there have been you know countless more. I can't name them all that have worked cadet and junior world championships. And one thing that it seems like American officials get is that they don't get caught up in the politics internationally, and that sometimes it might be the American is almost too fair compared to the rest of some of the other officiating crews around them? Do you think that's that's a true statement? Yes, very quickly it is. And if you any of the officials that go to major competitions overseas, they come back and say, well, I refereed three finals and I ju- judged two and I match chaired two. Why? Because we're fair officials. But sometimes our officials tend to be a little too fair. 
you got to understand when to when to put a bet down and when to when to hold them. You got to have a poker face. I mean, uh, the Russians play that game. If they know that if the Azerbaijan loses, then that would put this person in. I mean, they, they, they play a, play a little chess game, and sometimes. And I can remember years ago, some of our officials would say, well, I'm not going to cheat. Well, it's not cheating. It's knowing the right call to make. If it's a borderline call, you got to know which is the right borderline call to make. So you can take that for what it's worth. I mean, I, I, some of our top officials in the world know what I'm talking about. And the ones that haven't been there don't know what I'm talking about. We've been talking with Rick Tucci, the president of the U.S. Wrestling Officials Association, multiple World and Olympic championships on the mat as an evaluator as an official as a judge chairman whatever you've been through so many different colors of official shirts what is your favorite do you like the whites the blues or this tie stuff i hate the tie (laughs) when we had the whites on i thought i was an ice cream uh salesman i i say i because i'm kind of proud of this back when they went to a the tie and the jackets and stuff i said you know what United States, we referee in so many venues that are either not air conditioned that we need like a casual uniform. So I, I took kind of like what the what the NCAA, what the high schoolers have, what the, you know, what our basketball officials wear: gray pants and a, and a blue shirt. And we tried to get it as close to a to a light blue as possible. And I, I think it looks good. I, I and black shoes, and it, and it allows the referees to move around a lot easier. With that coat and tie on, man, you get some of these guys go out there and they're popping buttons. The coats are filthy. They get blood on them. I mean, you're not talking about throwing them in the washer. You're talking about sending them to the cleaners. So I, I really don't like the coat and tie. They tried to make us look like judo or karate judges, which we're not the same sport because we move around a lot more than they do. So I, I like the casual uniforms. I think the gray and the blue is good. White and gray, nah. I think the blue adds the contrast. And I think that I think that's the best color combination. All right, Rick. So as we get ready for the World Team Trials next month in Madison, do you think? I guess this will be the last question: Is wrestling more fun now than it was two years ago? Definitely, it's more fun now because there's more wrestling. You're not playing for the other wrestler to get a caution. You're not hoping not to lose. I'm not sure what the correct terminology is. You're not. Two years ago, you weren't wrestling to win you were wrestling not to lose. And now they're wrestling to win. I mean, I mean, you look at some of the matches, look at the Burroughs match, look at some of the other matches we had over the weekend. I mean, they're wrestling to win. They're not laying back and saying, well, let's see what happens. Let's see who's going to get hit, you know, for this or that. I mean, people don't want to come and watch a dull match. They want to watch action. That's why, you know, your MMA and all this stuff, you know, guys getting... There's action all the time, and that's what we have to do in our style, freestyle and Greco. We have to train our athletes, and I'm, I'm not coaching them now. I have to train them to wrestle. You've been listening to the Short Time Wrestling Podcast presented by Flips Wrestling at flipswrestling.com. Be sure to subscribe to the Short Time Wrestling Podcast, a production of theopenmat.com, by going to theopenmat.com slash iTunes and leave a review, or else we'll call you for stalling.